Hi, I'm Ben from the Diecast Movie Review Podcast, which is done by myself, my sister, and my father, where the genre of the movie is decided by the cast of a die. The categories are horror, drama, comedy, action, sci-fi and fantasy, animation, and musical. Also on occasion, we'll have a special episode dedicated to conversations with creators, directors, actors involved in the production of movies. Join us and see what movie we pick next. Hello, everybody, and welcome to the Diecast Movie Review Podcast, where the movie is picked by the roll of a die. I'm Michaela Turk, here with my brother Benjamin and my dad Stephen. Uh, let's see how everybody's doing and check in. Dad, we'll start with you. Hello, everybody. I've been doing pretty well. Um, recently, I've been listening to a new, <coughs> excuse me, a new podcast, um, Bill Watches Movies with Bill Mize, and uh, it's... What he does in each podcast is he takes a movie and does like an audio version of it. So whether you've seen the movie or not, you can still follow along and enjoy the movie. But also what I like is he focuses on one of the actors or actresses in the movie and talks about and gives a little bio of them and um, inter- interweaves that whole thing within the movie. So you get kind of two things. You get to learn a little bit more about one of the actors and, of course, you get the movie itself. So highly recommend Bill Watches Movies. Okay, and Ben, anything new with you? Um, not much is new with me right now. I started reading a few webtoons and started re- watching that 70s show, so my time has been very well spent. What's your favorite part of that 70s show so far? I would have to say the episode where everybody gets arrested. It's hysterical. I think it's like episode 14. And any webtoons you'd recommend to people to read? Um, I'd recommend God of High School. It's very interesting. It's also super long, so it takes a long time to catch up. Worth it. Okay. Anything else you want to add? Um, nope. Over to you then. Okay. Uh, let's see what's new with me. Um, this past weekend, a couple of my friends and I went to a Renaissance festival and we had a good time, even though it was raining the entire time we were there, except for that last little bit right before we left. So we were cold and wet, but it was a good time. We had hot apple cider and my friend Mandy and I had soup in a bowl and our other friends had mac and cheese and they said it was very good mac and cheese so that was good uh any particular street perform or not street performers but performers that you enjoyed uh we didn't really watch many of the shows we largely just walked around to the different shops um, we did watch this one guy for a little bit. I forget what his name was, but his name was his act and he has a YouTube channel. I wish I could remember his name. I'd have to look through the program and like the times guide thing to see if I could find what his name was. If I find it, I will tell you in our next episode what it was, but he was pretty cool. Did you do the sword fighting thingy? No, we did talk about it, but Laura would have had an unfair advantage if she took fencing in high school. 
So we did not. <laughs> it's not real sword fighting. Also, the swords that they use are like 10 pounds heavier than a fencing sword. It would still be an unfair advantage. We decided not. Also, it was raining. That's the best. We did meet it. a unicorn and got to pet her. <laughs> and you're burying the lead. You know, you're keeping a unicorn. We had to find that out that you met a unicorn. You should have been leading with that. Even our dog agrees. I can hear him barking. It's like, you should have led with the unicorn. Okay, we met a unicorn. She's very nice. Her name is Lily. She goes to children's hospitals. And she really likes apples. She kept trying to follow my friend Hannah because she had hot apple cider. And, um, oh, we got to make a wish with magical unicorn glitter. And then if we had any glitter left over, we got to pet Lily and put the glitter in her hair. You heard her first kids. Unicorns are real and they live in Maryland slash Pennsylvania. Yeah. So so that was pretty much it for what's new with me. All right. So uh, the last episode we did was our interview with Victoria Price that my dad uh, conducted when he was at the, uh, what was it called again? The Monster Bash. Yeah, we're at the Monster Bash Conference Film Festival in August where they were featuring a Vincent Price Film Festival. So they had eight different Vincent Price films. As you heard at the end of that episode, I won the role and my genre was horror. So I figured since we had just done the Victoria Price interview, I'd pick one of her dad's films and so I picked one of my favorites that falls into the horror genre and that's Theater of Blood. Um, so I'm going to give a brief overview of what the movie is about. <coughs> Edward Lionheart, played by Vincent Price, is incensed that his, latest, his last season of performances in Shakespearean plays did not win him the prestigious acting award from critics. After an unsuccessful attempt at suicide, Lionheart is rescued by a group of drug-addicted bums. He then sets out to murder all of his critics each with a different style of death taken from a Shakespeare play. When Lionheart faces head critic Peregrine Devlin, played by Ian Hendry, he offers Devlin a second chance to bestow the award. The movie was released on April 5th in 1973. Okay. And so, as you guys uh, probably have heard from our first episode we like to each kind of pick um an actor or a cr- person from the creative team to kind of highlight uh so i'm gonna go first and i picked vincent price um so vincent price was an american actor who was pretty much well known for his work in horror or scary movies um but he really started out in theater um, before he moved on to television, radio, and film. Um, He actually has two stars on the Hollywood Walk of Fame, one for movies and the other one for television. Uh, He died at the age of 82. His death date was actually a couple of days ago, um, as of the time we're recording this. Um, Not only was he an actor, but he was also an art historian and an art collector, 
as well as a gourmet cook. Um, there's actually a art museum named in his honor, the Vincent Price Art Museum at East Los Angeles College. Um, and so a couple of the his movies that I really like, uh, Theater of Blood, The Mad Magician, um, probably my favorite Vincent Price movie is you get to hear his vocal talents where whereas you actually don't get to see him because the movie is animated, and that would be Disney's The Great Mouse Detective, where Vincent Place plays the villain Radigan, who is probably one of my favorite Disney villains in every Disney movie I've ever seen. Um, and the other thing that I really like that Vincent Price has done is a... TV show, uh, Scooby-Doo and the, well, it's the 13 Ghosts of Scooby-Doo, where Vincent Price voiced Vincent Van Gogh, who is a uh, wizard that helps uh, Scooby and Shaggy return the 13 Ghosts to the chest of demons after they accidentally released them. Uh, it's a very well done TV show and one of my favorites. So I think I'm going to turn it over to my dad now, who wants to highlight. Yeah, I want to highlight um, the actress Diana Rigg and the director Douglas Hitchcock, or Hitchick, Hitchocks. Uh, basically, Diana Rigg, we'll start with her first. She was the um, co-lead, so to speak. He played Vincent, she played Vincent Price's daughter in the movie and um, Edwina, and she does a great job in it because she gets to play a lot of different characters, which we'll talk about shortly. But in her movie career and TV career, she's probably best known for two TV shows, one of them The Avengers, which is the British show, which is a spy thriller, which was out in the 60s, 70s. I remember seeing it in PBS and syndication, and that's what probably gave her um, her boost to stardom. Uh, later, she played Mrs. James Bond, so to speak, um, in On Her Majesty's Secret Service of George Lazenby when he was James Bond. And, of course, she was in the TV show Game of Thrones, where she played Lady Tyrell, where she was known for her witty one-liners and so on. And if you look back and watch the characters that Diana Rigg played, all of them have that intelligence, cool... Um, about them where you just when you see her come on the screen you're just drawn to her and then her attitude and everything is all really just like I got this I, you know it's always like she's ahead of the game she's never a step behind and I think that's one of the things I'm always drawn to her as an actress is that the, the females that she plays all have that greatness about them now the director uh, and I probably like I said I'm probably saying his last name wrong but Douglas Hitchox, uh, obviously, besides directing Theater of Blood, uh, two other movies that he did that I've seen, he's done a lot of movies. Um, one was Brannigan with John Wayne, where John Wayne played um, basically like a, a, a private eye type person and um, got to do some shooting up. It was basically like John Wayne's version of Dirty Harry when he was trying to um, move to where... Uh, 
everybody in the movie field was going at that time frame because Dirty Harry, you know, more dark and gritty, and he was trying to do a couple of movies that were outside of the Western genre. The other one, um, Ben and I saw last year at the Monster Bash, a movie festival there featuring giant movies, uh, giant monster movies, and that was the giant behemoth. And that one was very enjoyable also. I, I think Ben and I both liked that. It was um, our first time, both of us, for seeing it. And um, if you're a giant monster movie fan, I recommend seeing the giant behemoth. I'm going to pass it over to Ben. Okay, I am going to talk about three different actors. The first of which is going to be Coral Brown. In Theater of Blood, Coral Brown played one of the critics named Chloe Moon. And her death was rather electrifying. Very electrifying. With raised eyebrows and everything. Um, She was also in movies like Xanadu. Dream Child, The Legend of Lila Clare, Dr. Crippen, The Roman Spring of Miss Stone, Twist of Fate, and Auntie Mame, among many others. Also, one of the reasons I wanted to highlight her is because she went on to marry Vincent Price. Very interesting. And Ben, who introduced Vincent Price to her? Um, I believe that they said it was Diana Rigg who introduced Vincent Price and Coral Brown. Um, Another one that I wanted to highlight is Jack Hawkins. He played Solomon Sultry. And he was also in movies such as The Lost Chord, The Good Champions, The Lodger, and Birds of Prey. Um, he has a very early career in movies, starting in 1930. Um, yeah, he, he dies in a very interesting way as well. Or has a very interesting end experience in the film. And the other one that I wanted to highlight was Robert Morley. He played Meredith Merridue. Um, I wanted to highlight him because he was in Loophole and The Great Muppet Caper. Uh, The Great Muppet Caper also had Diana Rigg in it. It's a great movie. 10 out of 10 would recommend. So those are the three actors that I wanted to highlight in this film. Okay, so um, is there anybody else anybody wanted to highlight? No? Okay. So we are going to move on to talking about the movie itself. So we're first going to go over things that we liked, and um, we're going to start with Dad, and then we'll go to me, and then we'll go to Ben. Let's see. This is, again, like Mikhail said, one of my favorite films. Um, interestingly enough, when Ben and I were at the Vincent Price Film Festival, out of the eight films they showed, and Vincent Price has been in, I think, like 130 different films. You can go back to the Victoria Price interview. She gave the exact amount. Um, but th- this was not one that they showed. So it was um, it's kind of interesting. They didn't pick it. Uh, looking at this one, I think what I enjoyed most about it is, again, Vincent Price plays a character in that, yes, he is doing things that are wrong, but he was wronged. 
So you can almost identify why he's doing it. You don't agree with the extremes that he's taking things, so to speak, but he's still a character that you can like. And I and, and to believe it or not, I'm, I'm rooting for him to take out one of the critics. There's just one critic who I so wanted to see die, Devlin. And I know it's a spoiler. I mean, like we said before, this is an older film, a spoiler. And Devlin never dies. It's the one critic I want to see die, and it's the critic that doesn't die. I, I was very disappointed in that part. But, but everything else, how the deaths happen and stuff like that, uh, were very in- interesting and intriguing. I think probably my favorite one is the one where he's cutting off the one critic's head. And he and Diana Rigg are both there, or his daughter Edwina. And their facial expressions as they're going through the uh, procedure, so to speak. And you don't see the procedure being done. You just see the two of them reacting to it. And the way he looks at her, like, you know, like get the sweat, this kind of stuff. Or blood's coming out a lot faster. You know, get a bowl to collect the blood. I mean, it was just the way he was saying stuff and doing things. And when he was giving them the needles of anesthesia, he kept giving the needle to his, um, the guy's wife. He kept injecting her in the buttocks, and she'd be like, oh, and then go right back to sleep, and he had to do it a second time. It was just really played well with their expressions. It's, it's one of my favorite um, kills, so to speak. Yeah, that was a very interesting one. Uh one that at least I always found humorous as well, especially because when he was marking where he was going to cut, he used lipstick instead of like a marker or like anything else he could have picked. He stuck with the lipstick um, because of the him being an actor, and also Edwina's job in the that you see a little bit in the movie is that she is a makeup artist, so they stuck with what was close to them. Um. Like I said, this is one of my favorite Vincent Price movies. Um, it's really near to my heart because I was a theater major in oh bless you, Marla. Because I was a theater major in uh, college, so I really appreciate all of the tie-ins that the deaths have to his last season, and that they go in order of what the season was and the deaths that he picked for each character they just seem to fit so well um i'm trying to find the character's name and i can't Uh, oliver lord larding ah yes oliver larding that it's it's one of it's probably one of my favorite deaths because it just seemed so fitting how he like picked each death for the person so the character was always like even from the first time you see you saw him in the movie when they were at a critics meeting was like we should open a bottle of sherry or we should open like a bottle of wine to go while we wait for um the other person to show up and how his death happened was they lured him to a wine tasting of his favorite brand of wine and then drowned him in a bo- in a like a barrel of it and i just felt that it was so fitting that they would just like pick the little things um for them i believe 
one of them what was it was it the one that got dragged by the horse Hector, Hector Snip. Snip yeah they picked that one because I believe the character in the play who got dragged was named Hector as well or at least they Which say play? it's in it says right from the beginning the murder of Hector yeah from Troy. oh then it was yeah. Yeah. I'm just correct I'm just, I'm just naming the play okay <laughs> yeah so one of the um Hector Snipe shared the name of one of the deaths in the Trollius and Cressida. Um, and so that was how they decided to kill him. And one of my favorite things is like before before they ended it was he he said to um, Vincent Price, Lionheart, um, like he was getting scared and he was like, are we okay? And Edwina's character said, you're surrounded by friends. And that was how Hector's, the character Hector in the play died, surrounded by friends. So while he was comforted by them saying he was surrounded by friends, he should have been more wary. Um, yes, he did get the spear shoved through him and then tied by the feet to the tail of a horse and run through the funeral of the first critic to be killed. Very good timing. I think it was all down to the theater background and how they got all the timings perfectly done. Um, some of them were just seemingly in almost impossible. And, and one of the things I liked when they were at the funeral for George Maxwell, before the horse came riding in, the person there that was going to be putting the dirt on the grave ah yes was Lionheart and he got to say his little things as he's throwing the dirt on it was just it was just great to see all the different costumes and makeup that mm -hmm. um, Lionheart and Ed Whedon were in and um, playing all different types of characters and yes. I think that was one of the other things that's one of my favorites yeah and the fact that Lionheart as the gravedigger was there the whole time all of these critics all these people that knew him were there and they didn't even realize that he was there if they had realized it sooner then they might still be alive but they're not so Ben what were some of the things that you enjoyed about Theater of Blood um I think what I enjoyed the most was all the different people that Diana Rigg played. Like, for most of the movie, I did not realize that she was in those scenes. I thought it was just some random dude with a big blonde head of hair that, like, obscured his face all the time with a mustache because it was, like, a 70s movie. So I was like, you know, that's just probably how the 70s were. And then in the end when she takes it off, I was like, what the heck? It was Diana Rigg? It threw me off so bad. <laughs> I like paused the movie the first time I watched it and couldn't really deal with it for a little while. I had to like take a break and process that I didn't realize this was a different person. Which death would you say you are particularly fond of or 
the final death of the movie the implied death of Lionheart in the fire when he jumps off of the building with Edwina in his arms into the burning theater that he set aflame as the police were closing in I don't know if he jumped as much as it fell apart and, he, and yeah he, but he fell i don't know how many stories at least five stories yeah so i don't know if it's an implied death because you see him fall you see him land and the whole building's on fire it's pretty much pretty sure he's dead uh, i'm pretty sure he's dead well it's always the soap opera thing where if you don't see them dead they're not dead they could come back dr fives rose again Being that there was no sequel to this film, I think we can say Lionheart died. is dead. But he lives on in another plane, still saying his plays to his daughter. One of the interesting things is, well, to me, I think Ben brought it up earlier when he alluded to one of my other favorite deaths was the electrocution of the female critic when she's in the beauty parlor and the the she has her police escort, and that's when um, you guys are saying about what if they would have realized Lionheart was there, maybe it all been different. They knew he was doing it at that point, and he still had plans set up to get the various people because he was he was way ahead. Some of the murders he'd been planning for months and doing the setup. Yeah, and it was just great how she doesn't realize she's like, oh, these are different curlers. He's like, oh, it's all the rage in Paris. And again, him playing another wonderful character, which I'm sure Vincent Price just loved being able to do, being able to say these various parts of Shakespeare and being able to play all these different roles. And from what I've read and talking to Victoria Price, um, both Diana Rigg and Vincent Price consider this one of their favorite films, you know, that, uh, that they both did. Okay, is there any other um, likes for the movie that anybody wants to add? Ben, do you have anything you want to add? Well, there is a lot to like about the movie. Um, all of the extras did an amazing job, so I'd like to give a shout-out to all the people that played homeless people or the gang that lived in the theater and put they the were productions the same. on. They were the homeless yeah. people and the and gang. The, uh, whoever was the one that played the fake police officer... They're my favorite, pretending to be a police officer to lure in the first guy, and then that that was Lionheart and Edwina. Edwina. Oh, okay, okay. Yes, Ben, we agree with you. They're they're, they're some of our favorites too. <laughs> I'm gonna edit that part. No, we're not. I I will. Uh, anyway, what are, what are some of your what what are some of your other likes, Michaela? Um, other likes. A lot of them have already been talked about, but I do have to say one of the things that I enjoyed was at the very, very beginning of the movie before anybody had died yet. Um, George Maxwell, who is the first critic to die, had gotten a phone call at the house um, from fake police officers from Lionheart to go to this abandoned theater to get all these vagabonds and uh, stuff out of there. And his wife um, 
Mrs. Maxwell, she doesn't, she isn't given a first name, uh, said to him, I don't want you to go. I had a terrible dream last night. There was a lion and you got stabbed and you fell from a very great height and it was awful and I don't want you to go. And he's like, oh, it'll be fine. You just had a silly dream. Well, lo and behold, he got stabbed a bunch of times and Lionheart was there. So that would be the lion. And he fell from the second floor down to the first floor because there was construction being done. So he fell from a very great height. So I personally enjoyed that little bit of premonition and uh, parallels being done to what the wife had dreamed about to what actually ended up happening to Mr. Maxwell. Dad, do you have any other likes you want to add? One of the things I just wanted to mention, um, not with this in this movie and a lot of movies that a time that Vincent Price had done, is yes, there is some blood, but there's a lot of blood. I mean, there's a lot of things that are not shown. Um, for instance, you talked about the stabbing that was hidden behind plastic. Yes. Tra- um, um, so you just see the shadows of what looks like objects being stabbed into the person, but uh, you don't actually see it being done. And then when he rips through the plastic, it's just it, he's all bloodied already. Exactly. And it's a lot of times with movies nowadays, it's like more blood, more blood, gallons of blood. Buckets of blood and those kind of things. And I think the best gore scenes are the ones that are left to your imagination. And I think even though you don't see it, your mind plays tricks on you and you'll think you did see things that were there that weren't there. Which also goes back to, as you said, the theater part where, you know, they're not going to show a ton of that stuff because, again, the stage crew has to clean all that up. So a lot of it can be implied and, and the audience's imagination will take it to that appropriate level and I think that was a great tie-in you know with the different deaths in this film I mean I mean we did have a person get decapitated we did have a person get electrocuted and those kind of things so but things could have been a lot uh, more bloody and I'm glad it wasn't yeah as being someone on a stage crew that has had to clean blood off of a stage and um seeing people spend hours cleaning blood out of costumes it is a pain to get out um and a pain to set up it's a whole it it's a whole long ordeal for what only gives you a couple seconds of an actual effect um that some say is worth it. Um, do you have any dislikes or maybe not even dislikes, but like critiques or things that didn't sit as well with you for the movie? My biggest dislike was also probably the death that made that I felt the most was when the two dogs were baked into the pies. Yes. And fed to their owner. I am a dog lover. I have a little puppy named Milo. My dad's holding him and petting him right now. And whenever I see that guy get fed his own doggies, I cry a little. 
Yeah, I have to agree with you. That is one of my least least favorite things because of the death of the dogs. But I do appreciate the parallel they were drawing because the critic treated the dogs like they were his children and his babies. And so in that one play, um, a queen is fed her children baked into a pie. And so that is how they paralleled his death by uh, overfeeding him and stuffing him to death, um, which went along with his personality as he was a rather robust uh, man in the play. But I believe when Ben and I were re-watching Theater of Blood, our dog Milo was in the room with us, and so Ben covered his eyes and uh, kept his attention away from the screen so he didn't have to see the dead dogs. Uh, which, you don't actually see the dead dogs. You see their stuffed heads on a silver platter on the second pie. So, it's not the best image. Anyway, Dad, did you have any... Uh, I agree with Popey. That was, you know, obviously we're all, a lot of, all of us here are animal lovers. And I know none of it was shown on screen except for the end when they showed the dog heads on the pie and that kind of stuff. But it was, um, it, it was kind of sad. Um, probably one of the least favorite uh, my, um, things I could say were different was the fencing scene. Because Vincent Price was an older man at this time. And it, it, there's no way you can believe. It's hard to suspend my disbelief that he's bouncing around on his trampolines, doing flips, doing all this stuff. I mean, yes, he has a, a, the mask on, so you know it's a stuntman doing it, but it was just hard to believe that that character also at that age could be able to do all those same things that, uh, that Vincent Price was showing in the fencing scene with Devlin. I think they're trying to play off of the fact that he's been preparing for this since he faked his suicide and has been living with these drug-addled people so you don't know what kind of fix he may have gotten before he started dueling. So you're saying he might have had a little um, performance enhancers going on? I'm thinking that's where they're hoping you'll suspend your disbelief in that sense. I understand. It, it still doesn't work for me. That's fair. I thought it was just going back to how long he had prepared and he had probably gone and watched the other guy fence for a while and been like, this is how this guy does it. I'm going to beat him up. I understand what you're both saying about preparation, but there's an extreme age difference between these two characters. And again, the going and doing, bouncing on the trampolines, which... There was no, how does he have access to trampolines like that? Doing all those rotations and flips, yes, he prepared, but I don't think he was that character was physically able to do it, unless you want to put off on the madness part that he was totally crazed. And I could buy that when they're just fencing straight upright. It's just the um, acrobatic moves is what I have trouble with. I'm not not when they're fencing each other, nor you know, um, epe to epe. Okay, is there anything anybody else would like to add about the uh, dislikes or criticisms? 
Yes, Dad. Well, I mentioned it earlier. My biggest my biggest problem with the film is that the critic I hated the most, the character I hated the most, does not die, you know, and and, and comes away alive and well. And it's just, and and, and he's about to lose his eyes, and all he has to say is. I give you this award. He's like, I'm not going to give you the. It's just a freaking critic award. <laughs> you know, the guy could have gave in there and gave it and then, you know, possibly walked away. But no, he's not going to give, you know, Lionheart that last shred. And then he gets a weak, weak um, one liner at the end. Although he was the only one that, when they had the opportunity to kiss up to Lionheart, that didn't. He was the only one that like stayed true to his gut feeling and was like that other guy was better than you. So that's could also be the reason he's the only one that survived. Well, no, but all the other critics had said that Devlin was the one that insisted on the other guy winning and that kept bringing up the other person instead of uh Mayanhart. So it kind of leads me to believe that if Devlin hadn't been there, the other critics still, even if they disliked Lionheart's performance, would have given Lionheart the award. Uh, which, which we'll never know because, mm-hmm. I mean, it's easy to blame the head guy and, and say, oh, it's all his fault. It's all his fault. Well, I mean, I, I forgot what it was, like nine people that were on this critic thing. If eight of them would have said, no, it's only one vote, so, I mean, mm-hmm. you know, they could easily changed it, but they allowed themselves to be led. And then, of course, Lionheart's character does read to a lot of these people the reviews, that yes. he gets, which he doesn't have to read from paper. He has it put to memory. Mm-hmm. And because um, and they'll try, some of these reviewers or critics will try to grab parts of the review that start off nice and then start to go right after his acting ability. And, um, and that's the parts that Lionheart remembers and reminds them. So Devlin did not make them write those reviews. Mm-hmm. Um, I, do, I, I do like Ben's theory, though, that the one person that didn't back down did live. So, I mean, I guess you could say a moral story staying by your convictions, but he's still not a likable character. I still wanted him to die. <laughs> I shouldn't wish people's death, but it's, it's, we're just talking about characters, people. Please don't think me crazy okay anything else anybody wanted to add milo did you have anything you wanted to add oh you wanted to lick ben's nose he wanted to lick the noses yep when milo did watch this movie with michaela and i he always liked the scenes with the puppies in them yep except the last puppy scene Yep. Yeah, he didn't. He didn't get to see that one. one. No, he he got distracted by by his favorite blankie. Okay, so now we're gonna go around and do the our recommendations for the movie. Um, I'll start, and then we'll go to Ben. Um, so I would wholeheartedly recommend this movie. Um, like I said, it's one of my favorites. It's good if you are a fan of theater or even if you're not a fan of theater because they will explain to you um, why each death is related to the plays so if you're not familiar with the works of Shakespeare then you will be able to 
still understand why each person died how they did. Um, so I would totally give this movie a solid 10 out of 10 would see again. Um, in honor of Milo, I would give this movie a solid 8 out of 10 puppy paws. Although I greatly enjoyed moments of the movie, the character development seemed rather shallow for a lot of the people that got killed off. Because, like, the first guy, you see him maybe two minutes before he dies. And it's a very odd introduction to a movie. Although it does set up the next death rather well, it was a weird way to begin. And I didn't really enjoy the flashbacks. I know I didn't mention that during my dislikes, but I didn't enjoy how they kind of gave the whole flashback of the night the award was given. I thought they should have just led with it. I recommend the movie, but talking about the flashback, I, I don't know if they had to lead with it. I don't think it was really needed at all. I think they implied enough about what had happened without having to show it. And they maybe could have said an extra couple of lines about what he did do when he confronted the critics. You know, that could have come out in different dialogue. because Especially because when they show him, um, Lionheart jumps from a balcony into... Um, a river. Uh, uh, yeah, river. Some kind of body of water below. And when you see him jump, it's obviously a mannequin or something going into the water. I mean, it, it, that was, it was, a, the, it was one of the, I think the only really poor special, probably the, the, the worst special effect in the whole movie from my point of view. So really they, they, they didn't need to show the body hitting the water. It could have just showed them jumping and cut from there if they were going to show it at all. Uh, like Ben, I'm not, I'm not going to give it a 10 out of 10. I'm going to give an eight out of 10 mainly because I've seen a lot of other Vincent Price movies and I think Ben would have had this higher until after the Vincent Price Film Festival where he saw Dr. Fibes and he was just like blown away um, by it. And then I think it moved up in his rankings and he shifted some things around. And um, there's some other movies that Michaela hasn't seen yet of Vincent Price. But the great thing about Vincent Price, which we kind of brought up during the last episode, the Victoria Price interview, he's never bad in any movie he's in. I mean, every movie I've seen with Vincent Price in it, and I've seen quite a few. I haven't seen all of his, but I've seen quite a few of his. And he always brings his A game, always brings enjoyment and love for the craft. And in this movie, if you're a Vincent Price fan, definite C. If you've never seen a Vincent Price movie, this is a good one to see. And I definitely recommend seeing this one before you see Dr. Fives. Because um, if you see Dr. Fives and you watch this one, you might be thinking that, oh, this is similar to that but maybe not as good a quality. So I'd, I'd recommend if you're going to watch his films, see this one first, then see Dr. Fives, which will put him out of chronological order, but I think you'll have more enjoyment out of it that way. Okay, and any last thoughts before we go into the die roll? Oh, when we say Dr. Fives, we're also referring to the abominable Dr. Fives, not Dr. Fives Rises Again, just to throw that out there in case anybody was gonna wonder about that and here is my dad yeah just before we go to the rolling of the die for our next movie uh, we did get feedback we yes feedback please send us feedback you can send us feedback at diecast movie review podcast at gmail.com you could also give us feedback on diecast movie review podcast and facebook uh, feel free to leave comments there 
um, this particular person left us feedback on iTunes. And um, I was going to read it to you real quick. The Turk family joins the podcast community. Mr. Steve Turk, familiar voice from Monster Kid Radio and the classic Horror Club podcast, has officially joined the podcast community along with his son Ben, daughter Michaela. Steve knows his movies and knows, and, and now we get to hear from his children and their varying opinions. The format is unique, offering a variety of films chosen by a roll of the die. Awesome start, and I look forward to more from Rich C67. And I want to thank Rich C67 for leaving us that, you know, nice feedback. You know, hopefully, um, as, as we said earlier, episode, early episode, we're going to keep tr- striving to improve with each episode. And I think we've been doing that so far. And uh, I can't wait till we start hitting other genres and other movies and other actors. We do have some other interviews for down the road that hopefully everybody will like that um, we were able to get at the recent Monster Bash or Mid-Atlantic Nostalgia Convention. And I'm going to pass it to Mikhail now so we can go to the rolling of the die to see who's going to be picking the next film. All right, so it's that time, ladies and gentlemen, the time where we roll the die to see which movie we'll pick next. So first I'm going to roll the six-sided die to see who gets to pick the movie. And here we go. And it is a six, which means, Dad, you get to pick the movie. And for now for the eight-sided die to see which genre he gets to choose from. And it's a seven, which is a your pick, lucky number seven. Do you have any ideas what you might want to pick, Dad? Or are you going to withhold and keep it a surprise? I'm going to withhold and keep it a surprise. I'm going to see if I can tie the movie in with one of the interviews I was able to do. And um, we'll do the movie and then put the interview on the episode after that. So I think I'm going to look at the interviews I was able to have and um, make a nice little pairing. All right, and I hope you guys have enjoyed this episode of where we reviewed Theater of Blood, and please stay tuned to see which movie we'll pick next. This has been a podcast by the Diecast Movie Review Podcast. All rights are reserved. <laughs>